of a global family. Amen. <laughs> what a blessing it is. Um, you know, I, just over and over throughout the last few weeks, we've been realizing, you know, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, and I just love the fact that God is not a God who creates with a cookie cutter, yeah? And whether that's uh, spiritual uh, gift diversity or ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, God loves to see the body of Christ come together. <sighs> Happy Sabbath, friends. <laughs> you guys ready to study this morning? All right, uh, we're going to start with a word of prayer and really ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us today. Um, this is a message that has kind of been brewing in my own heart and mind. And I'll be honest, it's, it's kind of undeveloped because it's, a, it's an experience that I'm, I'm going through right now. I'm growing through right now, I should say. And so uh, let's pray that God would lead us today. Father in heaven, we thank you. Just that you're, you're the God who walks with us and talks with us. You're the God who is very faithful. You're the God who is our friend, and at the same time, you're the God who is high and lifted up. And Lord, as you sit upon your throne, you, you look upon him or her whose heart trembles at your word. And today, God, as we open up the Bible, we, we want to tremble at your word. The very word that spoke life and light into existence is the very word that wants to speak to us. God, I pray that this would be more than just a routine. Flipping pages, writing down notes, learning something new. Lord, we ask that you, the living God, would speak to our living reality. God, we need to hear from you today. We need to be challenged by you. We need to be sanctified by your word. And so that's what we're praying for. That doesn't come as we just grunt our way through it. That comes as we make ourselves available to your grace. And so that's what we're doing. Please. If there's anything that hinders that from happening, God, I pray that you would redeem us from that. Remove the distractions. Remove the roadblocks. Whatever it takes, do a heart work as we seek you and your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start our Bible study today with the last two texts that we looked up last week. How many of you were here last week? Okay, a few of us, yeah. Last week, we studied something, we called it Fishing in Style. Does anybody remember that one? Yeah? Fishing in Style. And we looked at six different styles of fishing for men. The last two texts, I want us to start with those. It's Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Luke chapter 5, verse 10 and also in 2 Timothy. So let's go ahead and start in Luke chapter 5, and if you're ambitious, you can also look up 2 Timothy chapter 2. All right, so we're going to Luke chapter 5, and I'm reading from the New International Version again today. Luke chapter 5, we're going to zero in on verse 10, and when you're there, go ahead and say, I'm there. Okay, all right, all right. Doesn't sound super enthusiastic just yet. Okay, I'll give it some time. Luke chapter 5, Third gospel of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. And if you're there, say amen. Okay. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Now, just a little bit of background. Here, Jesus comes to the, the sea, the lake of Gennesaret, and he finds fishermen. He finds people like Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Jesus is extending a call to Peter that, he, that will change his life. And in Luke chapter 5, Beginning in verse 10, it says, And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. 
Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will what? You will catch men. Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus was defining his life direction from there on. And in a metaphor that he would never forget. He says, from now on, you will catch men. Now, what was Peter's occupation prior to that? He was a fisherman, right? In other versions of the gospel, Matthew uh, chapter 4, also Mark chapter 1, we find Jesus saying, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, all right? Here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. We made this observation last week, that that verb, catch, is only used one other time in the New Testament. That one other time is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, all right? So let's go there very quickly. 2 Timothy it's to the right, so keep flipping towards the end. If you, get to, if you get to Hebrews, you've gone a little bit too far. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. All the letter T books are all in the same section of the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 2. They're actually all alphabetical as well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, last verse of the chapter. And when you've found it, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was left in charge of a church, uh, of a group of believers. Timothy was a young guy, and so he had some, some issues just kind of with confidence and security. And Paul was giving him some instruction that would strengthen his ministry. One of the things he talks about is some of the resistance that he would find. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 24, we'll start in verse 24, he says this, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Verse 25, those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And verse 26, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. When Paul is describing enemies or opposition to the truth, he, calls them, uh, he, he describes them as people who have been caught in the trap of the devil, who have been taken captive by Satan's will. It's a very stark picture. This is the second time that that verb that we found in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, from now on you will catch men. Here in 2 Timothy 2, it's talking about the devil having already caught people, the devil having already ca taken captive individuals. And so when Jesus tells Peter, hey, from now on you're going to catch men, he's using very intentional language. There are souls in whom, uh, for some, it is life and death. There are souls who have been taken captive by Satan. And so you, Peter, you follower of Jesus, you are now called to catch them back. Do we follow that today, yes or no? Jesus is talking about the great controversy. He's talking about the, the battle between good and evil. And he's enlisting people to fish. And it's not just cutesy language. He's not just enlisting people to throw in a net here and there and, you know, have a nice si time at the, the side of the lake, seashore, whatever, and just kind of sipping their lemonade. No, he's talking about a battle. He's talking about going in on the front lines. Yeah, fish for men. Catch them because they've been taken captive. And if you don't do anything about it, it means death for them. So how many of you long to go fish? Huh? <laughs> this is serious business. When Jesus calls us to go fish, guess what? It's a call to go fight. And that's what we're talking about this morning. 
when fishing is a fight. The message today is when fishing is a fight. Are we following this today, yes or no? The reality is that the call to fish is a call to fight. Last week we were talking about fishing in style, and we found that, yes, you know what? Uh, there, there are times when I pigeonhole what it means to be a fisher of men. Maybe I think of one style and another style, but I really don't resonate with that style. And so last week we were looking at six different styles, and we were hoping to find ourselves in those stories. The, and, and I hope that was accomplished last week. We said, oh, okay, yeah, fishing for men. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Maybe it's actually God using my strengths for his glory, Okay. Now, just because we fish in style doesn't mean that we fish in ease, okay? Just because we fish in style doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Because when Paul is talking to Timothy, actually, if you're in 2 Timothy still, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, take a look at verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Just earlier in the chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 Paul is saying, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. All right, very good instruction, right? Paul has discipled Timothy, and Paul is telling Timothy, okay, now that I've given this to you, now entrust it to others who will be able to teach others. He's telling him, basically, he's instructing him to go make disciples. He's instructing him to go fish. But notice in the very next breath, verse 3, he says, endure hardship. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Could it be that fishing can turn into fighting? <laughs> Why is this? Because of the great controversy. Because when we are fishing for men, we are catching them out of the throes of death. We are catching them out of the grasp of the devil. And if I read my Bible correctly, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, The devil is like a roaring what? Lion seeking whom he may devour. Is he just going to lie down when I take his prey? No! Revelation 12, 17, it says, The dragon was wroth with the woman, enraged with the woman, and went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. This devil, this lion that we are taking his prey from, <laughs> he's not just a, a, a kitty that we pet and say, okay, I'll, I'll take this, thank you very much. No, no, no. This devil is going to fight back. The, the powers of darkness are going to fight back. And this is something we need to be aware of if, in fact, we are called to go fish. If we are called to go fish, we are also called to fight. There is a very real fight. And, and this is something that Jesus spoke of himself. Actually, go back with me to Matthew Matthew chapter 12. I just want to take a look at a few of these passages in which Jesus speaks of this uh, almost in aggressive terms. This may be surprising to some of us, but in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus speaks, it, he speaks in terms of war. He speaks in terms of aggression. Matthew chapter 12, this is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 24. When you're there, say amen. Okay. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is having a, a conversation with uh, some religious leaders who were beginning to cast some doubt upon Jesus' ministry. They saw Jesus do some miracles here, do some miracles there, and they were naysaying what he was doing. So in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible says, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, 
It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So they're, they're casting doubt upon Jesus' ministry. This is no good. This is just, this is a fluke. He's actually on the side of the devil. So Jesus responds, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Verse 27, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Verse 28, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now notice verse 29. Or again, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he can rob his house. So Jesus was defending his ministry and saying, no, 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 no. I'm not on the devil's side. I'm actually on his opposition. The devil is my enemy. And then he gets very specific in verse 29. He's saying, look, when I'm saving people, when I'm healing people, when I'm rescuing people, I'm actually binding up a man who has possessions and I'm taking back what's mine. Jesus is grunting his way along and he says, I've bound this strong man. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm robbing. I'm taking back what is mine. Turn to chapter 11, maybe a page over. Chapter 11, verse 12. Notice again, he casts his ministry. It's a mission of rescue. It's a ministry of rescue that requires intense and even aggressive effort. Chapter 11, verse 12. Notice, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. What is Jesus talking about? He's describing his ministry, he's describing his mission as one that is of intense rescue. He's describing it so that we can be aware that when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not something that we just assume will happen on its own, but there must be an intentionality that is very intense. Forceful men take hold of it. There is need of an awareness of aggressive warfare when we go fishing for men. Why is this? It's not so that we can pick a fight with the devil. Get, don't get me wrong, okay? We're not to go out to go pick a fight with the devil. But what we are called to do is to act as though it means life or death. Friends, do we believe this today, yes or no? I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of, uh, I don't know if I'm casting this in pictures that we can understand, but, but here is the reality. We don't see this every day. When we walk with our coworkers, when we sit down and, and, and we go into our, our homes and, you know, wave at the neighbors next door, we don't even know their names, but we wave at them every day, you know, th those kinds of things. Th life is friendly, life is nice, life is, you know, it carries on business as usual. And we don't often think of this reality of a great controversy in which there are lives that are captive and God has commissioned us to capture them back. And Jesus is trying to rouse us today. And he wants to know not just who will fish, but who will fight. 
who will fight for souls who don't know how to fight for themselves? So when he calls Peter, from now on you will catch men. When he calls me, from now on you will catch men. When he calls you, when he calls me, he's calling us to fish and even to fight. Now question, how do we fight? <laughs> right, how, how do we do this? Now, I mean, we don't want to walk into the lion's cage uh, defenseless. We don't want to walk into this arena not knowing what we're doing, just kind of haphazardly. No, how, how do we do this? How do we do this? I want us to go to a few passages. Uh, let's go actually to Ephesians chapter 6, all right? Ephesians chapter 6, because I want us to get very practical here. How do we do this? Ephesians chapter 6, New Testament. So, you're in Matthew, keep flipping to the right. You'll pass the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then you'll get to some smaller letters, Galatians, then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. When you're there, go ahead and say amen. Okay. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. The Bible says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. All right, here we go. All right, Paul's giving us some instruction. How do we stand against the devil's schemes? Because here's the reality. When we go fish, uh, there is going to be resistance. And that resistance, that struggle, I, I'm telling you, uh, in our prayer meetings during the 40 days of prayer, as we've been sharing what's been going on, uh, multiple times people have said, you know, when I started praying for this individual, it seemed as though the intensity of spiritual warfare heated up tenfold. I, I, I know that we've seen this in our, in our own history, in our own experience. When we began to pray more, it seemed as though we began to struggle more. What's going on here? I'll, I'll tell you what's going on. When the devil hears prayer, his whole host trembles. <laughs> when the devil hears fervent prayer, he knows that his time is short. And so he's not going to lie down for that. And so here's the struggle. When we go fishing, it turns into a fight. Why? Because the devil doesn't want to let go. So he will cause uh, havoc. He will wreak havoc for those that we are trying to capture back. And also, I would submit that he wreaks havoc in the fishers' lives as well. You've seen it. We've all felt it. As we have exerted ourselves, as we have committed to put our hand to the plow or, or throw our back into the net, whatever it might be, you and I have experienced that it's not an easy road from there on out. <laughs> it gets more difficult. It becomes a fight. And some of us get discouraged when that happens. And no wonder that Jesus says later on in Matthew, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why would the laborers be few? Maybe because we're either distracted or discouraged. We've tried to labor, but it's just gotten really hard, so I'd rather not. <laughs> and this is the honest reality. So friends, don't let this be your reality. When you're called to fish, expect it to be a fight. So how do we fight? We, how do we fight? Paul gives us some ins instructions here. Put on, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, when you are finding yourself struggling, it's not with people. It's not even with problems. It's with powers of darkness. 
And so what do we do? Therefore, verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. Did you notice a word that was repeated there a couple times? Stand, yeah? Stand, stand, stand. So after you've done everything, okay, put on the full armor, but all that armor is for you to stand. And then in verses 14 through 17, Paul goes on to list six pieces of armor. He talks about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes, the gospel of peace. He talks about the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And after he lists these specific pieces of armor, in verse 18, it's almost as if Paul is climaxing to this. Notice in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. After he lists the armor of God, what word did you hear repeated over and over? Pray. Notice this. This just stood out to me this week when I was studying this. That when Paul is talking about the armor of God, he bookends it with standing, stand, 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 and then pray, pray, pray. Could it be that our best weapon in this spiritual warfare, as we are fishing and it turns into fighting, could it be that our best weapon is not to start swinging our arms around, but to stand in prayer? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Do you realize that our fight is not a fight of arms? It's not a fight of weapons. It's a fight of faith. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, John himself says, faith is the victory. Could it be that our ability to stand and pray is the outward working out. Excuse me, that's really redundant. (laughs) Uh, Could it be that our ability to stand and to pray is the manifestation of our faith in Jesus' victory? That the victory is not dependent upon my ability, my elegance, my my eloquence, whatever it might be. It's not not dependent upon my skill. It's, It's dependent upon me standing enough to pray. So when I'm fishing and I find it to become a fight, it's a call to stand and pray. It's a call to stand and pray. I want to look at two Old Testament stories that I think illustrates this very, very real. Uh, When I think of captives being taken out, I think of the children of Israel. I think of the story of the Exodus. So I want to look at two stories in the Exodus and and draw some conclusions from this. In Exodus chapter 14 and in Exodus chapter 17. So go there, second book of the Bible, Genesis, then Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. And you know this story, right? Prince of Egypt. Moses has been called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. These, These people... They, they, they are descendants of people that God has had personal connection with, the descendants of Israel, the children of Israel. And over generations, nearly 400 plus years, this nation has been enslaved in bondage in the nation of Egypt. And God has a plan to redeem them. God has a plan to take them out. 
So if you are in Exodus chapter 14, can you please say amen? Okay, Exodus chapter 14. And starting in verse 10. So here, the children of Israel have, have come out. The ten plagues have already fallen. Pharaoh has said, oh, okay, okay, you got me. Mercy, mercy. Okay, you got me. And he lets the children of Israel go. In verse 10, Pharaoh apparently has changed his mind. These are captives who have been taken out. But the lion did not lie down. The lion got hungry again. And so we should expect that it becomes a fight. And in verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians. Marching after them, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Ah. Skipping down to verse 13, you can, you can just kind of sense the fear, sense the, the doubt, sense the, the anger and frustration. And this is what happens when people are being taken out of their situation, out of their comfort zone. They, so, there will be times where they look back and say, it was so nice back there. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? So don't expect it to always be easy. Don't expect it to always be clean. Sometimes the work of fishing for men is messy. There will be backsliding. There will be turning away. But we need to keep fighting. How do we fight? We stand and pray. Let's watch how Moses did it. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Pick up your weapons, all of you, and start throwing stones. Is that what Moses told the people? Yes or no? No, 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 no. Let's read it again. Verse 13, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. By the way, God's victory is complete. He can do that. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. <laughs> Moses' appeal to these captives who are trying to be, or who are, who are being assaulted, these captives who are fresh on the redeemed side but are being drawn back, Moses' appeal to them is to stand still. The other time, in the Old Testament, when the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that verb, stand still, is used only twice in the New Testament, one of which we read already in Ephesians chapter 6. Stand. Stand. And so we know the story. God delivers Israel, walks them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea collapses on Pharaoh and his armies. God's victory was complete. Story number two, go a few chapters later, Exodus chapter 17. Similarly, just as the children of Israel had nothing to do but to stand still, stand in the faith of God's victory, in Exodus chapter 17, we find a repeat story, except a little bit different context. In Exodus chapter 17, in verse 8, if you're there, say Amen. The Bible says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Wait a minute. Who are these guys, right? Why are they trying to pick a fight with us? They didn't, these weren't related to the Egyptians. They had no good reason except for the fact that they saw people walking through their territory and they said, hey, let's go get them. Jump them. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So far, not the greatest generalship. 
you're, you're kind of wondering, Moses, what are you thinking? You haven't even trained for war. You've got a nation of about two million plus, lots of women and children. How are we supposed to defend ourselves against this trained army, the Amalekites? Moses says, Joshua, I want you to go with your men. I'll go stand on top of the hill. Well, good for you, Moses. Hope that works out nicely, right? What's he doing? What's he doing? I think Moses has learned something. That when it comes to the struggle, he knows to stand. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said at the end of verse 9? Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So what does he do? Verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur, three individuals, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. What is this? What is this about hands being up and hands being down? I want you to notice something that in Scripture, hands being lifted up, it was a posture of prayer. It was a posture of prayer. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22, when Solomon is praying for the dedication of the temple of God, he lifts up his hands in blessing upon the people. He lifts up his hands in prayer to God. In Psalm chapter 28, verse 2, David cries out. He says, I cry out to you with hands lifted up. This was a posture of reaching out to the God of heaven. This was a posture of saying, look, victory is yours and not mine. The battle belongs to you. I'm standing still. That's why Peter is able to instruct. I'm sorry. uh, Paul is able to instruct in 1 Timothy. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up their hands in prayer. He says, holy hands in prayer. In other words, don't live a double life. When you lift up your hands in prayer, live in such a way that you are consecrated and you recognize that victory only comes from God. And so here's Moses. He's learned from Exodus chapter 14 to now. Look, if there's any chance of victory, it's the victory of faith. If there's any chance of victory, it's victory as I stand. If there's any chance of victory, it's victory as I pray. So Moses' hands were up. There were times when he lowered them. Why would he do that? Yeah, have you ever tried to do this for hours on end, right? Yeah, 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 this gets a little bit weary after a while. There were times when he would shake it out, do some ballistic stretches, da-da-da, you know, try to get the fatigue out. He'd lift them up again, and the tide of battle shifted. And I want us to notice that victory was only as sure as prayer was steadfast. Same was true for Moses, same is true for us. In our fishing, in our fighting, victory is only as sure as our prayer is steadfast. The rest of the story goes on. Verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. Who, were, who, who is they that took the stone and put it under him? Aaron and her. So his brother and then her, I think he, he was, I'm not actually sure the relation, but apparently he was a good guy. <laughs> he helped Aaron out, moved this stone under Moses, and it says in verse 12, Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Verse 13, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army 
with the sword. Friends, I want us to notice something. We've already said observation number one. Victory is only as sure as prayer is steadfast. Second thing I want us to realize is that steadfastness is a team effort. Did you catch that? That steadfastness in prayer is a team effort. You and I know, (laughs) you and I know that we may go through seasons in which we feel the necessity to pray, to pray our hearts out, to agonize with God, to wrestle with Him in prayer. And when we feel like we are praying by ourselves, there are times in which we grow weary on our knees. But as soon as someone else comes to your side and prays along with you, have you ever found that your intensity to pray is tenfold? <laughs> Just in this 40 days of prayer experience, we've, we've had prayer partners, and what a blessing that has been. I'll tell you, this 40 days of prayer has not just been a steady line for me. No, I, I've had my ups, I've had my downs, but praise the Lord that through this, I've had a prayer partner that at the end of the day, when we pray, we're able to, yes, okay, <laughs> praise the Lord for prayer. Look, there's a place for secret prayer. Jesus says, no, you've got to pray in your closet, not in the eyes of men. No, pray, pray in your, we need secret prayer. Yes, amen. But friend, let us not neglect united prayer. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, he says, when two or three agree on anything concerning earth. Notice how, how blank check this is. When two or three agree on anything concerning earth, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. There are things, it is in God's plan, Great Controversy 525, it is in God's plan to grant to us, in answer to prayer, that which he would not do, did we not thus ask. Did you realize that? That there are certain things in God's sovereign will, yes, he will come again, amen. You know, the second coming, he will make that happen, whether or not uh, we're ready He will make that happen. There are certain things God will do, and there are certain things that he hinges upon prayer. And so why do we not? Why do we not stand and pray? This is what Moses learned, and he he, he was steady in it. And that steadfastness was a team effort. Wow, what, what would have happened if Aaron and her weren't there that day, right? What would have happened had Moses tried to pray by himself that day? What would have happened to the whole nation of Israel? Friends, we need to pray, yes. And I would say this, we need to pray together. Are we following this today, yes or no? All right, so let's draw this to a close. Three simple appeals, or I'll say this, three general appeals. Three general appeals, and then maybe I'll suggest some applications, specific applications. Last week's appeal was simply to go fish, go fish in style, right? That was last week's appeal. This week's appeal, if last week was go fish in style, this week's appeal is to go fight in prayer. (laughs) Go, go fight in prayer. There are souls that need to be caught, but it's not uh, dependent upon your prowess, your ability, your eloquence. It's dependent upon whether or not we can pray and stand in prayer. The 40 days experience may be over, but it doesn't mean that we stop praying. Amen. Someone pointed out to me, uh, you know, uh, there's a comparison between prayer and the breath of the body. Uh, Ellen White says that 
Prayer is the breath of the soul. Think about that. Prayer is the breath of the soul. And for those of you who enjoy uh, physical exertion, for those of you who ex enjoy exercise, my prayer partner actually just ran the Modesto Marathon. <laughs> I didn't get to watch him or cheer him on. But I know something that when you and I run, when we, and I, when we, when we exert ourselves, when there's physical exertion, guess what, guess what happens to our breathing? Does it change or does it stay the same? It changes. In what way does it change? It increases. When physical exertion increases, your breathing increases. Could it be that in, when we increase our spiritual exertion, our spiritual breath should increase as well? So here we are. We're, we're what, uh, 19 days out, maybe? 19 days out from our upcoming Revelation of Hope seminar. Hey, we're going to exert ourselves, amen? <laughs> we're going to exert, we're going to work, we're going to fish. Why should we not but pray more because of that? We're called to pray. The 40 days of, uh, of prayer may, may be coming to an end, but friends, we are called to pray even more. So here we go. Three general appeals. I'll, I'll just say this. Friends, we need to pray for more prayer. <laughs> we need to pray. I'll say it like this. Uh, we need to pray for a spirit of earnest prayer. Uh, someone shared this statement with me from a book called Prayer. Page 83 says this, the greatest blessing that God can give to man is, can anybody guess what it is? <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought about it when I started reading this, what's the greatest blessing that God can give to man? Could it be the Holy Spirit? That would be a good one, right? right? Could it be church growth? Could it be, uh, you know, this or that? This statement says this, the greatest blessing that God can give to man is the spirit of earnest prayer. Why? Next sentence, all heaven is open before the man of prayer. Friends, maybe you're, you're wondering what's on God's wish list. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to pray about today? Maybe you haven't known what to pray for. Look, this is on the top of God's wish list for you. Pray for a spirit of earnest prayer. Why? Because when we're able to pray earnestly, we're able to fight victoriously. That's the greatest blessing, because heaven opens up in response to earnest prayer, because the greatest victories are won in answer to prayer. Second thing I would say is this, we pray for a spirit of earnest prayer, but let's also pray for a burden for souls who need to be reclaimed. Pray for an, a spirit of earnest prayer, Pray for a burden for souls. Seventh volume of the testimonies. Why do not believers feel a deeper, more earnest concern for those who are out of Christ? Why do not two or three meet together and plead with God for the salvation of some special one and then for still another? Do you hear the question there? How many of us do this, right? Oh, why didn't I think of this earlier? <laughs> there are certain ones special to me, loved ones, uh, friends, acquaintances, people that I cannot imagine eternity without. Why do I not gather with some two or three of my friends and say, look, we need to have special prayer for this one? Why not? Well, maybe it's because we don't have a burden so deeply for that. If that's the case, we need to pray for that burden. <laughs> We need to pray for a burden for souls. So pray for a spirit of earnest prayer. Pray for a burden for souls. Third, pray together. Pray together. 
Moses needed Aaron and her. Paul was writing to the whole church of Ephesus saying, look, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Secret prayer cannot be neglected, but neither can united prayer. I want to read you something from Patriarchs and Prophets. Ah, this is awesome. It is now that we are to learn this lesson of prevailing prayer, of unyielding faith. The greatest victories to the Church of Christ or to the individual Christian are not those that are gained by talent or education, by wealth or the favor of men. They are those victories that are gained in the audience chamber with God when earnest, agonizing faith lays hold upon the mighty arm of power. Oh, that we would pray. Oh, that we would not leave the audience chamber of God until we sense that high heaven has been moved in answer to our unyielding faith. We need to pray for a spirit of earnest prayer. Pray for a burden for souls and pray together. So what are we going to do about this? How are we going to live this out? How are we going to take these appeals and apply them to our lives? I would suggest this. Maybe you've had a prayer partner these last 40 days. Stick with your prayer partner for an extended time. Keep calling them up. Maybe you want to switch up. Maybe it's not a daily prayer thing. Maybe it's just a, a, a regular, intentional appointment. Maybe you haven't had a prayer partner these 40 days. Find one. Find one. Some of you are thinking, I don't need one. <laughs> Friend, you do. Moses needed Aaron. Moses needed her. If you feel like you can pray by yourself, praise God, do it. But there will be times where you grow weary. There will be times where you grow weary. And in those times, you'll need an Aaron and a her. Please, don't jiff yourself out of this. This is a blessing that is right around us. So pray, find a prayer partner if you don't have one already. Second, second application, today, this afternoon, at 4 o'clock at the Turlock Church. The whole area eight churches are, unite, or are invited to unite in prayer for an hour. Go. Join them in prayer. I can't because I'm driving down to Bakersfield this afternoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> but join them in prayer. Why? Because victory is only as sure as prayer is steadfast. Second, or, okay, I guess that's second. Number three, I would suggest this. Uh, this is kind of a, a plug. This is a, a shameless advertisement right now. Okay? During the Revelation of Hope seminar, we're going to do something that we didn't do uh, this last time around in the fall. But during the seminar, we're going to keep a prayer room open. And that prayer room will be open 30 minutes prior to each meeting and 30 minutes after each meeting. We need people in there who will be willing to pray with anyone who needs it. That room will be a safe haven. It'll be a place where where, where people can come burdened and, and we can pray with them. So before the meetings and after the meetings, we're going to have this prayer room open and we need prayer warriors. If you want to be a prayer warrior, go ahead and sign up on that back table in the foyer. But there's an added element to this. We're also going to keep that room open for those of us who want to pray during the meeting for the meeting. We're going to be Aaron and her <laughs> for our evangelist. And keep holding up his arms, okay? 
We're going to be Aaron and her for each of those guests who are, who are reading the scriptures and they're finding a war being waged over their hearts. We're going to be Aaron and her for each of our staff members who are in the kids' programs or the older kids' programs or in the kitchen. We're going to be the Aaron and her for those who are putting forth the effort and we're going to make sure that they're steadfast, lifted up before God. Okay? So maybe that's one specific application that you wanted to sign up for too. You want to be a prayer warrior. You want to see God move in answer to prayer. So friends, plain and simple, maybe a little bit on the heavy side today, but I tell you what, this lifeline is not something we can neglect. And if we have been, maybe you've been getting by with, with 80% oxygen and you just didn't know it. <laughs> That's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling to try to climb a mountain on 80% oxygen. <laughs> Friends, we need to pray. And as we exert, we need to pray more. As we fight, we need to stand and pray. So for those of us who just desire that, to, to, to take one of those steps, whether it's to find a prayer partner or to attend a, a prayer meeting where there's united prayer or to actually be invested in being a prayer warrior throughout the upcoming seminar, if that's something that you want, and you're saying, yes, I sense that God is asking me to do this. If that's something, one of those ways in which you want to put that into practice, friends, I would just invite you to take your stand today and demonstrate that by actually standing with me. If you want to pray more, if you want to find a prayer partner, if you want to, uh, to, to attend more uh, united prayer, or if you want to be a prayer warrior during the seminar, go ahead and take your stand today. Take your stand today. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. I know that this is a very specific appeal. Amen. God needs people to fight. And it's not going to come as we swing our arms around. It's going to come as we stand in prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you, God, that you have called us to stand. Lord, maybe we don't feel like Maybe there are some of us here today that don't feel as though we have the faith to pray. And God, I pray that you would increase our faith, that you would help our unbelief. Lord, maybe there are some of us who have been praying, but we've been struggling and going about it ourselves. We've been, been wearied because maybe we haven't seen results or we haven't seen answers or we, we've been discouraged by this or that. And I just pray for anyone here in this room that you would just surround that individual and flood their mind with the promises of God that those promises would penetrate through the fog, through the darkness. Father, I thank you for those of us who have taken a stand today. And I ask, God, that you would bless us with the greatest blessing you could give us, the spirit of earnest prayer. God, we want to fish, and we know it's a fight. So please, equip us to stand and to pray. This is our desire. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. Again, just a reminder, for those of you who desire special prayer, there is a prayer time here in the committee room to my left, your right. God bless you, friends. Happy